Hi, welcome to the Cybersecurity Insider. My name is Igal Behar. Today we have a new guest, a new member, and I would like to bring him in. Oh, he got disconnected. Hmm. Device not connected. Okay. Oh, he's back. Oh, you're back. Okay. So let me present uh, Steve. Steve, you are officially online and officially member. Please tell the viewers who are you and what's going on. All right. Thank you, Miguel. Uh, name, I'm Steve Magnani. Um, I have uh, 33 years at Citigroup. Um, I formerly ran governance for uh, the Global Information Security Group programs, including multi-factor authentication, suspicious activity detection, vulnerability assessment management. Um, I was also involved in asset management as well, amongst uh, many other things in between, you can imagine. Uh, and uh, I'm currently acting as a consultant for a corporation on the East Coast here in the United States uh, with regard to their vendor, uh, third-party vendor supplier management program. Anything else okay. you'd like to know? <laughs> um, anything that you want to tell? Uh, well, I think, you know, uh, I'm joining forces uh, with Yigal uh, and Too Secure in order to bring forward my knowledge and my experience to facilitate, um, you know, the, the, uh, the initiative uh, to bring light and education and awareness to uh, small to medium-sized businesses to get a security assessment completed uh, because there isn't any business, uh, unless it's a charity business, I suppose, but even they would be hit too, um, that right. is not susceptible to um, uh, being hacked uh, and most specifically these days um, being, being data breached with the ransomware uh, connotation attached to that. Uh, it can be quite costly. Um, and, you know, the effort and the cost to ensure that you have the appropriate controls um, and uh, protections against that happening to you is a drop in the bucket compared to what it will cost you if you should unfortunately be hit by ransomware. Okay, perfect. Okay, so uh, we may have another, our um, honored guest or our. Um, Seth Meldenes, he might join us. Who knows? He's a little bit busy, got occupied with customers or something else. Uh, and by way, happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and welcome to the weekend. Um, it's windy, it was a little bit sunny here, but that's okay. Okay, so let's start, uh, as you said, about uh, cybersecurity vulnerabilities and everything else. Um, and let's talk about this thing. And this is with the Sky Routers patch 17 months after vulnerability disclosure. Sky Broadband has rolled out a fix for critical DNS rebinding vulnerability affecting 6 million Sky Routers in the UK. The flow could be exploited to access the router's home network change router configuration and traverse the network to access other devices. The flow was first disclosed 
to Sky in May 2020 and was initially said to be mitigated by November 2020. Sky says that as of October 22nd, 2021, 99% of effective, uh, affected routers have received the update. What do you say, Steve? Uh, I, I don't believe in uh, a lot of the statistics that are published with regard to um, especially patching statistics. Um, so I would take that with a grain of salt. And if you have or operate in this particular um, type of networking capability, I would certainly look into it and make sure that you have the, the appropriate patching completed. Well, typically in big networks and enterprises, it takes a long time, uh, even after disclosure, to come and install those patches because it might be other dependencies in those patches. And this is what we typically say to our customers. Uh, yes, there are patches. Mm -hmm. You should install them. But sometimes when you install a patch, it's going to cause... Uh, service disruption. Now, so I would say it's better to have service disruption than having uh, your system exposed to a cyber attack or to data leakage. What do you say? Is it better to not to be uh, um, exposed to a cyber attack to data leak? Or should they patch? And if they patch, they will have service disruption and whatever. Well, What's your take? Yeah, I mean, this is a perfect. This question is a perfect microcosm of the of the issue with owners of small and medium-sized companies um, deciding whether or not they want to spend the money to do the right thing from a cybersecurity perspective. So, well, they, they, this is different. If you want to spend the money and not spend spending the money, this is a different question. No, no, I know. It, it, but what I'm saying is, it's parallel. It's, it, it, you know, it's it's um, it's uh, an example. Uh, okay. The same mindset, right? So, if 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 I'm, you know, the owner of a let's say two hundred million dollar re revenue perspective annual company, and I'm going to, uh, you know, my CTO tells me I got to put in a patch or two. And they find that when they put it in, it is going to cause a 15% hit on revenue, right? For a short period of time, let's say a month until they can figure out the kinks and then work it out. That might be a problem for some people. Um, and, and see that, so that's the rub. Uh, you know, at, at what point do you say, listen, I'm, I'm willing to take less revenue in order to make sure that I have the protection um so that's you know that's the problem in a much larger organization such as the one that i was with um and many organizations of those kinds uh the big issue there is knowing your asset um map you know if, if you don't know if you don't have a good idea of your asset topology right whether you're national or global then very often, um, you know, it's it's kind of like just sticking your finger up in the wind when you put a patch out to see whether or not something is going to fall. 
Um, and that's because many of these companies that have grown through acquisitions over time and have just kind of like lathered systems on top of other systems and haven't appropriately integrated everything um, now need to, uh, you know, now need to have um, a, a sanity check into whether or not, you know, am I going to take the, the risk of doing a patch because I don't know what it's going to affect. And that's why they do it in test mode over the weekend. And, you know, if they see that it's not going to affect too many systems or hopefully affect none, then they'll let it go. But if they see it's going to be a problem, they're willing to accept the risk. So... So let's go back. So we had one is the business owner if they have the money, the budget to spend. But then, and this is a diff different discussion. The, the second discussion is whether you patch or not patch. Because if you're going to patch and you're going to be down because there is a conflict in the software where you install those patches and that system will become unavailable which is an issue mm -hmm. it's a security issue although it's not so severe as um being breached and typically what i say to customers is sometimes it's better to be safe meaning not to be breached to be down because you install a patch and not being breached and it's kind of a bit twisted it's got, thinking about being uh, exactly the opposite thought process here. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, you want to be there, right? You want to be at the point where you're uh, as safe as possible from any data breaches. Um, and the problem is, is that uh, when you're in business, a lot, of, a lot of businesses are operating on not the largest revenue margins and anything that could impact revenue um, could hurt, you know, the business. So it's, right. you got to weigh it out. Right. Which brings exactly to the same point now of uh, service availability. And this is with uh, Tesla. Several problems lock some Tesla owners out of their vehicles. On Friday, November 19th, Tesla owners around the world reported being unable to communicate with their vehicles using the Tesla app. For some Tesla owners, the app is their only method of unlocking their vehicles. Elon Musk said the problem was due to accidentally increased visibility of network traffic. So, verbosity. I guess they were trying to troubleshoot an issue or something, and they did some troubleshooting, and maybe they forgot to turn off that extra information about the traffic, and it caused some sort of denial of service, if you will. Which brings me, you know, all the cars that we use these days, everything is, you know, press the button, and then, but with this car, so I have this key that you can open the car. Personally, I don't like uh, I don't like all those things, apps and software that can you know put you out of business. And you need to have some sort of a backup here in case something goes wrong. 
Well, what's your take here? Um, I'm, I'm, uh, can you restate? <laughs> I'm not following what the question is. So it's not the question. It's like, again, it's like uh, here, you know, with all those uh, uh, EV, electric vehicles, and everything that goes on with cloud and apps and everything is, okay, we switch all over the place to apps and using more and more our phones, yeah. right, the smartphones, to do our daily routine, including unlocking locking our cars. Yeah, you're talking about IoT. Yes, and, and IoT, yes. Uh, eventually, we're going to need to have some sort of a backup. And they didn't think about the backup. And this is one of the issues here that we are having with those new technologies that we need to have some sort of a backup even to our car. And let's say even, even let's say you have... You know, let's say they didn't have this issue. Let's say you have a problem with your smartphone. Mm. Your smartphone, one of the common issues can be that you ran out of battery mm -hmm. and it's not functioning. Or maybe the phone is not functioning for whatever reason and maybe there's no internet at that location. So what do you do? How are you going to lock and unlock your car? Or you start your car? How can you do that? Uh. You know, I mean, uh, most of those systems only have one primary system. You know, um, uh, all the things that we operate in our homes, um, if it's digital, uh, there really is no backup. If it, if it gets breached or if it fails to work, there is no backup. Um, uh, You're screwed. Yes. yes. I mean, it, if a major organization like Tesla... Um, operates um, a network that services uh, all of its automobiles um, in one shape, form, or another, and they're doing some testing or analytics or whatever that could potentially bring that primary system down or or uh, impact performance. Yeah, they you know it's their responsibility to understand what would be the impact and how can we ensure to maintain the integrity of the service in case our primary gets impacted. Right. Yes. Okay. So with that, we are moving to our next, uh, with that and FBI flash alert, fat, fat pipe, zero day is being actively exploited. So fat pipe is a box that it's used to connect few internet connections and make it a fat pipe, meaning, okay. Uh -huh. So the FBI has issued a flash alert warning of an actively exploited zero day on fat pipe wrap MPVPN and IPVPN software. An unknown threat actor has been exploiting the flaw in the FedPipe MPVPN networking devices since May 2021. So it's relatively new, you can say. The vulnerability allows the attacker to obtain a foothold and maintain a persistent presence in targeted systems. According to the TLP white alert, the vulnerability allowed APT actors to gain access to an unrestricted file upload function to drop a web shell. So web shell, it's like, if you will, like you have a system with a shell, 
Uh, this is called a web shell. So you do it over the over the internet on a web server uh, for exploitation activity with root access, which you have full access, leading to elevated privileges and a potential follow-on activity, meaning installing other malware, other expanding your foothold in a system, in a network, and then expanding uh, to other areas in that target. So this is, again, goes uh, well with uh, the topic of patching. And it's be maybe better to patch than not to patch. What's your take? Well, you know, like I said earlier, uh, Egal, I mean, you always want to be as 100% patched as possible, right? Um, the only the only reason why you're not going to be at that level is because you have some issues in your system uh, that you're not quite sure of. You don't know what impact it could have on the balance of the uh, on the balance of your systems. Um, whether or not it's going to impact performance of customers, um, you know, that's that's a big deal uh, to businesses. So, yes, I mean, you know, the goal is to be under percent patch. Uh, the the difference is, uh, you know, can you actually get there without significantly impacting your business operation? Yeah, so both ways you have a problem with a with operation, right? The case where you are being breached, and the second because if you are breached, you can't serve your customers, mm -hmm. and you can't do any internal internal activity. And the second is if you are not breached, you are patched, but you have a problem with the um, avail service availability. So now you have a problem with your customer. So either way, you're going to have a problem with your customer. And people will come and ask questions. And then with the worst case, and maybe I don't say the worst case scenario, is where you breached and information was leaked. Then you have a problem with your customers that they might go away. But then you have a problem with the authorities as well. I mean, yes. both ways, you might have a problem with the authorities. But this case, you'll have a bigger problem. Right. So, you know, and costs. Yeah. So, you know, if you can live with a, a performance hit, if you can live with some of the chirping that you're going to get from your customer base um, as a result of putting in a patch, um, it's always best to try to live through that uh, rather than uh, live in a scenario where you're open to a breach. And if you get if you get breached, the customer will will not be happy. Nevertheless. And uh, it's going to cost you even more money that way. I think there is another alternative. And the alternative is to have another another system that is exactly the same as the your production environment. Typically, the, I had this week another conversation with another development company that we are hosting their services. And I told them, well, first you need to have three separate networks one is the development the testing environment and the production environment mm -hmm. now in the beginning you develop you test and you do everything on one environment which is bad 
but this is when you are very small. Now, when you get a little bit bigger, things are becoming more complicated, but then you understand that you have a security problem also. So then you separate it. You say, okay, I'm going to have a production environment, and then I'll have another environment, which will be the test and the dev environments, right? But that also you have a problem. Now, it might be better to have two production environments, okay? And they are exactly the same. So let's say you need to install patches. You install one patch on system. You turn off the other system. You switch between the two, right? You patch whatever you need to be patched, but still you don't lose any active, uh, access. It's still mm -hmm. available, but still you are maintaining uh, a good level of patching. And at the same time, you have availability. So you're not losing availability. I think this is probably the... But this is also adding more headaches in terms of operations and cost. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can tell you that major organizations don't have the appropriate testing platforms themselves. You yes. Know? I mean, when, when uh, next generation architecture became a reality in the early, uh, you know, starting in 2011 and 12, you know, all of the APIs and the services that they were developing, there wasn't a unique testing environment to test those. They just used the same testing environment. And it wasn't it wasn't appropriate. Um, uh, Meaning using the production as a testing environment. Well, or, or no, they or they had they had the, the the separate those functions, the production and the testing. Yeah. And dev. Okay. Yes, they are indeed separate, but 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 you know, there are you know running um, uh, some of the programs that I had. You know, I had raised the fact that even my programs right suspicious activity detection and multi-factor joined together we could not actually effectively test the protections that these provided right in a in a real in a pure test environment to make sure end to end was working exactly as we wanted it to i mean it was but we couldn't document it in the way of a test Right. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it, it's Internet and it's customer bound and you need to have credentials to be able to test it. And it was just very difficult to create fake that credentials to utilize in that environment, um, in the production environment. I mean, we really needed a test environment that was just like production and and, you know, attempt customer uh, debit and credit transactions, you know, with the, with the controls that we had in place. Um, that's not to say it wasn't working. It was working, but we couldn't, you know, put on a platter to the regulators, uh, you know, we, we did this 88 ways to Sunday in a true test production environment and it works as advertised. Um, the other environment, uh, that, uh, most of the large organizations have is a proxy environment. Um, so that's, that's another one. And, and, you know, it's interesting because the proxy environment never got tested. Ne we never tested the proxy environment. And why is that? I have no idea. I, you know, <laughs> it, it was just seen, I, 
I think because, you know, it was very low on the totem pole, you know, because proxy was essential product, essentially production, right? Um, so if it passed production, it was fine. And then obviously later on, you know, WAF and, and uh, uh, you know, post-production control um, tools uh, came out uh, to sort of put additional controls uh, and fail-safes on uh, potential vulnerabilities that uh, were rolled out into production that um, were not caught by various penetration testing and threat analysis and so forth and so on. So when you say they didn't test, what kind of testing are you referring to? Oh, uh, mainly, you know, vulnerability, uh, vulnerability testing, you know. So they, so they skipped the vulnerability testing of, of the proxy? They didn't test vulnerabilities? Yeah, no, the they, didn't do, they didn't test the proxy because the, the proxy was basically just, you know, the delivery of the production system just through a different, uh, a different pipe, so to speak. Um, I see. Uh, there was no there was no difference in the functionality of the code or anything that was being delivered or being deployed on those landing pages i see okay okay so we're gonna move now to um guess what another bridge on godaddy uh so godaddy managed wordpress customer data was exposed in a November 22nd filing by the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, GoDaddy disclosed uh, unauthorized third-party access to its managed WordPress hosting environment. The intruder used a compromised password to gain access to GoDaddy systems in early September. So this has happened in September. So now November, we're talking about three months. Uh, GoDaddy detected the problem on November 17th again. So you see that there is an issue with detection. The incident exposed up to 1.2 million users' email addresses and subscriber numbers. The admin password originally used to provision the subscriber WordPress instance, SFTP usernames and passwords, in some cases, SSL private keys, were also exposed. So there's no, the SSS certificate is meaningless. Uh, the account has been changed, password reset, SSL keys are uh, reprovisioned, and impacted users are being notified. So this is what, what they did. They did password changes, resets. They redid the SSL certificates, keys. So revoking the certificates and creating new certificates but this is a problem it's a bigger problem because um they use this maybe default admin password and now when you create those instant instances they people don't change the default password so once they got the password they don't change it and this is a bigger problem that changing the configuration or changing the defaults. This is probably uh, one of the bigger issues here. So it's not not to say there is a zero, zero day here. It's a problem with configuration issue. Do, did you see those kind of things in, in your previous places? 
configuration issues? Um, Misconfiguration, I would say. Uh, well, I wasn't necessarily privy to the, the network scenarios where that would normally happen, right? Your your configurations um, on your on your proxy servers, your production servers, um, on your DMZ, so forth and so on. Um, we certainly had them, and every every organization will have them. Configuration is the biggest problem uh, because in the world of cloud, um, you know, it's you have a you have a dashboard that is so wide um, and so intricate. You must ensure that your configuration settings are right on uh, in order to ensure that uh, you don't have any data leakage or any potential breaches. Um, the the type of breaches that I was more, uh, more or less um, exposed to were the uh, coding breaches um, in the applications. Um, but, you know, NIST and all the other frameworks certainly speak to the importance of configuration settings. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, your configuration setting scripts uh, need to be part of your backup uh, script, right, which should always be kept off-site as well, because you don't want to lose your, your, your actual uh, primary source holding the only copy of your recovery scripts. Um, so yeah, configuration is a big problem. And, and it, one of the reasons why it's a big problem is because there aren't enough technical folks around to really fill that role, which is so needed for so many different companies. You know, we're doing a um, an assessment of a small manufacturing company, and um, you know, because they're small, they have a very, very difficult time meeting many of the you know NIST 853 uh, requirements that we're using. Uh, we're using that particular framework. So yeah, that's uh, just another you know branch of the technology tree that needs to be needs to have appropriate attention in order to ensure that you you've got good controls yes and also related to uh previously uh, when you said okay you need to know if you're globally located if i mean these days because the internet you are although you have one physical location you can be considered as global because anybody can access and get right. services from you the other problem that I see is, well, again, it's a lot, a lot of enormous amounts of information are being created. The data is growing very big. You have multi-access from different places to the data. So now you need to know where is the data located. You need to know where the data is being stored in order to know how to protect it. And right. you don't have data visibility. So this is also an, another another issue. So here again, when as a company like GoDaddy that serves other customers, if they have some sort of a an issue with the, how the process, and obviously it's a process issue, um, they need to force their customers to change passwords once they do the first login and force them to use two-factor authentication immediately out of the box i mean microsoft have 
rolled it out at any time that you create new account it will force you to create um two-factor authentication setting so it's been done it's going to take some time that, that, that's that's for sure yeah. and yeah okay so i think we are early than earlier than uh i thought gonna be so any closing what to say before uh, we finish sure uh you know i'm happy to be part of the team uh help out and uh drive the message forward um i think uh i think there are a lot of small to medium-sized business owners who um they don't they don't really have um security uppermost in their mind and i know that they're deploying CTOs or so-called CTOs in the organizations that run their networks. Um, and they know because they're operating and they're saying, well, you know, I know that this is a whole, I know that, you know, privileged access, we cannot be using the full passwords and so forth and so on. Um, it's the message has to be delivered to the owners and the owners have to understand almost kind of like um kind of like see the scenario if something should go bad uh to really understand how bad it can get um and then understand that you know cybersecurity controls just like life insurance or automobile insurance or anything it is an insurance to at least minimize to a certain extent uh the the depth and length in which you could be hurt um and hopefully you know cut it down to a very very small percentage so i, I want to tell you well i have a few stories under my belt uh, with speaking to business owners and now recently i'm talking to another business owner again that we spoke a few years ago and she she it's a it's a retail uh business they have, I think, seven stores. And a few years ago, they she was referred to me by another uh, third party. And she asked me also about, okay, if I want to check my security, what will be the cost? And I told her the cost, and she ran away. Uh, and now the second time she's coming, and now again, she's asking the same third party, okay, do you know anybody? Obviously, she forgot about me. Uh, and again, I told her, well, you should talk to Egal. And I, I had a conversation with her, I think like two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, okay, well, well, what do you need? Well, what's, what's on your mind? She said, well, I need a cybersecurity audit. I said, okay, what that cybersecurity audit will look like? Oh, you know, the company that handles my IT, they told me that everything is okay and we do backups and they do a few times backup a day. I said, okay, what else? She said, well, all the employees are trained now to open suspicious emails and how to, you know, hover above the email and see who is the email, who is the sender and so forth. I said, okay, what else? That's it, basically. I said, okay, so... And then she got busy, she had to handle another crisis, she had a problem, I had to go. Um, but again, from this conversation, you see that business owners don't understand 
what really have changed. They they only care about I don't know if they only care about the uh, expense that will incur doing uh, a a proper cybersecurity, I would say, and they think it's just okay. You know, few things we need to check, and if those are okay, we can move on. So let's say you need to advise a business owner. What would be their first step in kind of this scenario? They never done anything about security. They have firewall, they have Fortinet, Fortigate, I don't know, they have whatever, it doesn't name doesn't matter the name right now. They probably have some sort of uh, antivirus solution somewhere on the workstations. They have servers on-prem, yes, they have all these stores, whatever. What would be your recommendation to them how to get started? Well, what would be the first step for them? Um, well, the first step has to be to document everything that they have, right? Uh, provide a statement about what does the business do, how does it do it, in what environment does it do it? What is it currently utilizing in order to provide those services or products, right? Uh, provide any kind of written information in terms of scripts, policies, standards, procedures, anything in terms of how do they do what they do today, right? Because you're going to need that as the assessor, as a baseline to really uh, understand that first going in so you have a better understanding of the environment in which you're going to assess. I'm assuming that they don't have anything because they those business owners, they don't have this kind of documentation as you just, they are not, they are not like Citibank. They are not like all those yeah, places yeah, yeah. No, where I they know. have all those procedures. They don't have those things. Yeah. So, so, so hopefully at least they will give you uh, a list of the equipment and the versions of the software and the versions of the infrastructure that they're using. Right. So you can go in, know whether or not, you know, they are really behind the eight ball in terms of the versions that they're using, understanding what kind of, uh, you know, publicly available information is out there uh, regarding the vulnerabilities for those older versions. Um, and then the first thing you've got to do is, you know, you've got to, you've got to run a scan of their code and see what's going on with their code, if they have any kind of code. You know, if they're customer facing, it's a completely different ballgame. It's much more, it's, it's much deeper. Um, if it's not, and they're just running numbers internally um, and inventory and certain stuff like that, then you want to look at that. Then you need to look at their pro their operation. Who has access to what, right? And under what circumstances can they gain the access? Is it direct? Is it within the firewall? Can they get access from outside the firewall? If that's the case, what are the controls for external access? You know, do they have a VPN set up? Do they have some kind of a VDI set up? They, they, they have a VPN, yes, they do. They yeah. do have a VPN, yeah. yeah. Well, may not, maybe a VPN that has some issues. So, you know, you need to kick the tires on that. Um, uh, and then, you know, from there, obviously, you, you need to uh, scan the servers. Um if they run a DMZ, you know, you run run some testing uh, in that area. 
Okay, let me ask you, because you, you're touching one thing that... Um, so when you hear a cyber audit, cybersecurity audit, what do you understand that a cybersecurity audit means? It is an audit of your technical, you know, of your technology, as well as the human interface with that technology. As well as actually also... Um, any third party, um, and as a result, N parties, uh, that could be breached, that could impact either your direct vendor or you directly. Okay. And, and what is a risk assessment? Well, when somebody will tell you, okay, I need the risk assessment. Well, what's, what will be your understanding of risk assessment? Is risk assessment is, you say, who has access to, to do like vulnerability scanning, checking the DMZs, or what did you say, the audited techn technology, uh, humans, third party? Yeah, so the risk assessment is, it, it, is risk assessment includes everything that you just mentioned, or this is a cybersecurity audit? Well, you know, the word cyber uh, has... L leave the cyber out of the picture. Okay. So let's say you say audit, or right. you say risk assessment. Are they the same, or they're different? No, they're different. They're different. So if... Because what you said in the first step was who has access to and where's the data and do some vulnerability scanning, I'm assuming you you said, and you said check the DMZ. If yeah. this is considered to be risk assessment? No, no. That, that's like a, that's a cyber, uh, that's, that's an assessment of what is a fact, right? What in fact is going on? The risk assessment is ultimately a statement based upon what you have found for uh, future risks or, or future attacks. Well, it can be whole. current current and future attacks. Well, right. okay. I, I think, I think there, there is a lot of confusion. And let me tell you all what my, my experience is and what I see. Mm -hmm. So when people say that they want to know, they say penetration testing, but actually they mean vulnerability assessment. And when you ask them what is vulnerability assessment, they say it's something else. So I, I want to I explain it just a little bit better, maybe, my perspective, because it's not exactly uh, understood. Risk assessment is, again, coming and saying, okay, what do I have? What kind of processes I have? Where is the data? Who has access to? what kind of endpoint protection I have, vulnerability scanning to see if there were any kind of, you know, ha low-hanging fruit, including the DMZ, which is part of the, the risk assessment, and see where is the risk, where are those vulnerabilities are. Not to say that those vulnerabilities will be exploited. They are just vulnerabilities, list of vulnerabilities, a, a list of weak points in my environments, in right. my business, okay? And audit, as I see it, as audit is just, okay, I have a list of things, and I check the mark. 
I have a backup. Yes. I, I did a restore. Yes. Mm -hmm. I did patches. Yes. I have antivirus solution. Yes. Is it yeah. updated? Yes. Da, 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 da. Those are also part of a risk assessment, but they are more condensed and they are very small, meaning you're going to check certain things. You have a, a checklist. Not to say that in risk assessment, you don't have a checklist. You do. But then audit is uh, inside the risk assessment because the risk assessment is more wide. The scope is wider, very wide, because you're checking a lot of things. And audit is very small. Now, another word about vulnerability assessment and penetration testing. So again, as I said earlier, vulnerability is just, tell me, give me all the list of vulnerabilities, all available vulnerabilities. Penetration testing is a second step after the vulnerabilities assessment. You can say, okay, from all those vulnerabilities, what would be the most promising or exploitable vulnerabilities? Now you take all those, li the, the list that you created from the previous exercise, and now actively you're going to use them in order to penetrate a given system. And a penetration is extracting information causing a problem with the giving system, doing something malicious with that system. And I think people don't understand what it means and the differences between. And some people that are already in the business don't understand, including myself, because this is requires more conversations in order to understand exactly what it means. So when you say cybersecurity audit, what exactly it means? When you do risk assessment, what do you want to see? And specifically, what are the outcomes? You need to look at the outcomes. And this is, the, I think, the most important thing. What are the outcomes when it comes to any kind of activity from a business perspective? What I'm looking to get from here? Yeah, so... So really what you're talking about is it's a two-stage scenario. The risk assessment will determine what vulnerabilities you have, as a matter of fact, in your system. Then you utilize threat assessment techniques, right, in order to create uh, the, the tactical attacks that the bad guys are going to use in order to actually effectively utilize those vulnerabilities to attack your system. I think that's what you're you're referring to. I think there is a lot of terms and jargon words that are being used all over the place in our industry uh, and not necessarily that people understand what they mean and it requires more digging in order to understand what it means because now you said threat assessment what is a threat assessment? Are you talking about current threats, future threats, and how you're going to do those? And maybe a threat assessment is already including in a risk assessment. So no. it's a subset of a risk assessment. No, no, no. no. it's not. No, okay. No. So how, how a threat assessment uh, fits into the risk assessment? So both, so both of them are assessments. Yeah, right. So, you know, you, you tested your systems and you found certain, you know, CVVS rated 
vulnerabilities. You find vulnerabilities. Not to say that CVSS right. are exactly the best way how to look at threats. Whatever, how, how, whatever you know, measures you want to use to determine whether or not they're high, medium, and low. Okay. Uh, or, or critical priority, high, medium, and low, which is what my former organization used right. as, as a benchmark. Uh, right. Uh, obviously, you're not going to waste your time on low-risk uh, vulnerabilities, but you're going to take medium and higher, right? And then you're going to look at how uh, the human element interfaces with your technology, right? And you're through the threat assessment, you're going to develop um, different strategies that the bad guys are going to be able to determine are viable paths in order to create and develop an attack um, on your system. And it could be for anything. It, it doesn't mean that they're going to actually breach you. It could be just all they want to do is harvest uh, a good pair of usernames and passwords. That's all. Um, but, but the threat assessment is utilizing the understanding of the current vulnerabilities the environment in which your infrastructure is, is set up and the goals that are associated to it, and how the human element actually interfaces with that. And then you work with your fraud people if you're a big enough organization that you have that and you bring a separate fraud group to also facilitate those those ways in which the bad guys could potentially be coming in and do an attack. And you would test it. You know, you would try a couple of them and say, hey, this is real. They can actually do this. We found this hole. I mean, many times you read about um, independent uh, researchers, you know, coming out and in the New York Times or in different uh, uh, outlets saying, oh, you know, we found this hole in Bank of America's, you know, web banking system or in Microsoft's, uh, you know, procedure for uh, upgrades or, you know, uh, almost any organization, especially most most importantly the mssps right who just hit so many organizations as a result of what they've right. seen in the last year so uh, i'm i'm gonna plug my my ideas here um risk assessment is giving a score to your to your business say what are the 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 and you want to rate it so let's say you have a high risk of being penetrated that's what you want to know mm -hmm. and you want to know also what would be the impact we didn't talk about the impact if you are if you were to be breached and we we can have also discussion about the said you are not don't assume that when you will be assume you are breached now what now what's next okay right. But let, let's, this is another discussion. So as I said, as I said, risk assessment is giving a score to your, say, resilience to threats. As I said, threat assessment is part of the risk assessment because you won't be able to give any risk score without knowing what are my relevant threats. Right, which okay. is why you use ranking. So why, why, what are my relevant threats? So you can say, okay, you know, I'm a fed of ransomware. You can ask the business, okay, what are my relevant threats? If somebody steals my data and use the data in a in a way that I didn't foresee, for instance, use the data to create 
other attacks against those people that I got their data, for instance, this is a threat. Or, for instance, a phishing email or social media that somebody can send me links mm -hmm. through the social media messenger, right? This is a threat yeah. that somebody can get in and steal my data. So I did this uh, purposely because when we talk about this, we, we not necessarily even ourselves understand very well what are they and how to take them and convey the message messages to the business owners because eventually they are unlike us we think about technology and we're thinking about those things but they don't think like that mm -hmm. they're business people they don't they think about other things and we need to talk about the outcomes what exactly am i looking am i i have a big hole here that i'm trying to plug or i'm trying to very small thing I'm trying to do here. What exactly is the outcome here? This is this is the the conversation that we need to have yes. with business people. Yeah, obviously, you know, when you at the end of your risk assessment, you sit down with the owner and you say, "Okay, we found these vulnerabilities," but okay, there's a whole host of those vulnerabilities might have very very limited exploitability, right? I mean, uh, a lot of our um, decisions as information security officers uh, resolve around whether uh, the level of exploitability of the particular finding. Not necessarily because as a tech people, as you said now, as a security people, you see everything and almost any vulnerability as a, as a big issue. While business people might say, you know, I don't think I don't see so much a problem with this kind of vulnerability. I don't see it as a big threat. Right. However, I see something else that is going to be a big threat for us, and we need to handle it. Because in the end of the day, they are the um, information owners, and they need to make this kind of a decision. So, okay, that, that's good. That's good enough. We can... We can continue talking about that. Okay. Okay. So to the viewers, thank you very much for watching us today. Uh, you're going to watch us later. It's fine. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, like, and if you don't like, it's fine. And comments, any comments in the section below on the U YouTube channel. This is Egal Beha, the Cybersecurity Insider with Steve Mariani. I said your last name correctly, I hope. Very good. Yes, excellent. Yes. yes. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you for watching. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we'll you. see you next week. Probably we'll have um, um, another session. Um, hopefully, Seth will be able to join us. Uh, maybe we'll have some uh, broadcasting on a daily basis. We'll see how things. Finally, I was able to set up the studio here in a way that I can do it right away. Uh so this is a big change for, for us. And hope to see you again. Thank you. Thanks again, Yigal. Pleasure. Pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Okay. Bye -bye. Thank you, guys.